Hey, thank you, family. It's so good to be home. You can be seated. Um, I love this place. Uh, I was here last year. Um, this is just an honor to be here. Um, I, you know, if you're new to Luminous um, and you're trying to discover, you know, in a world that we live in where um, the, the church is, is really being um, questioned for its existence, why does it exist? What's the purpose? Can I trust you? Uh, and a lot of that is warranted, if we're really honest. And you find yourself in this space, and you're kind of wondering, can I lean in? Can I trust? Can I open up my heart? For some of us, we find ourselves in a space where church hurt is a part of our life. And I just want you to know that Ben and Brandy are two of the finest people that I know, uh, as not just as leaders, not just as pastors, but as, as people, as parents. Um, the way that they love their family, exhaust themselves for their kids. Um, you can lean in in this church. It's not a perfect church. Um, this is a space where you can grow in your love for Jesus and your love for people, and you can discover. You can discover how to read the Bible. You can allow for this word to begin to read you. Uh, this is a safe place. And so it is, it's an honor for me to be here, for my son to be here. Um, my son, he's 13, and uh, he's the youngest of four, and he has always wanted to be a big brother. And so he came here to be, for a weekend, a big brother to Benny and Brielle, um, which he, is, he just loved it. Uh, I was outside at the pool for 10 minutes, and I got sunburned. I mean, I was outside. I literally felt myself about to explode. Uh, welcome to Texas. Um, so, I, again, uh, the, I've got a family of, of six. I've got an amazing wife of 21 years. Um, I know I look 12, but somehow I, I, uh, there should be a picture behind me. Um, I've, I've got four, four kids, 19, 18, 16, and 13. Um, I just sent my two oldest to, to college on Wednesday, um, a moment of both celebration and sadness all colliding at the same moment while at the same time price tags uh, are just, just the cost is just over. I'm crying because of the cost. Uh, and the fact that they're leaving all at the same time. So um, it, it really is good to be here. If you, if you have um, your, your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 8. Um, as, has been, as was mentioned, you know, I, one of the things I love about this church is it, it is a courageous church. Um, it's a church that is um, five years old, but... At the heart of this church is a church that is committed to Jesus and helping you discover Jesus. But then at the same time, they are committed to now embodying the love of Jesus to a world around them. I mean, they, they, they want to now face the needs of San Antonio head, head on. And it can so easily become, I mean, if you're facing ominous need in San Antonio, I mean, the, just, just the challenges of, of the, when it comes to um, those who, who don't have and who are in need of, of food and um, 
the increase of economy, uh, desperation for a place to stay, and homelessness. I mean, the need goes on and on and on and on and on. And so you, when, when you begin to step into the world's needs, um, you can begin to have a cacophony of voices coming back at you, asking you, why are you doing this? Like, like really, Pastor Ben, why are we taking our resources and, and now beginning to extend them to, to places of homelessness or those who are on uh, the margins when it comes to um, homeless teenagers or kids who are orphans? Like, like, is this really going to make a difference because there's so much need and we don't have very much? Like, what, what is going to sustain you when you have a cacophony of voices constantly trying to attack the desire that you have to make a difference in this city. The, the, the longing that, that this church has to now embody the resurrection life of Jesus into the, into the, the, the fabric of this city. This is what this church is called to do. And so the question is, how do you sustain this desire to extend the love of Jesus through luminous loves? How can you do this? So what I want to do is I want to title this message, The Portal of Compassion that there is a reservoir of resource that the Spirit of God wants to offer this church that will continue its resolve and its strength as you extend and embody the love of Jesus to meet needs. And so at kind of uh, a sneak peek of the entire message in one sentence is simply, sim- simply this, that compassion is where Jesus' heart meets your hands. Compassion is where Jesus' heart meets your hands. In an economy of grace, compassion is, is now, it, it, it is the currency by which the Spirit of God uses to extend his kingdom. Mark chapter 8, familiar text, verses 1 to 10. This is the feeding of the 4,000. This is what it says. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave them for them also and and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Easy for me to say. Um, Our church uh, in D.C. about three or four years ago, or I'm sorry, about, about... Two years ago, uh, we purchased um, a facility off of Mass Ave. Um, 
Mass Massachusetts a Avenue is um, known uh, for um, all, it, it's, a, it's a home um, that, um, that we purchased that um, all of the representatives of countries, embassies, have their home there, Embassy Row, about 160 um, homes uh, all in one street. And we bought 2230 Mass Ave. And uh, our heart behind this purchase was because we wanted to have uh, kind of a ground zero location by which we could serve the nations. Um, in this home, it was, it was built about 160 years ago. Uh, and um, it was redesigned with an architect about 25 years ago. Um, we found out that there was a significant problem with the plumbing. That's awesome. Um, upwards of about a $50,000 problem. Uh, we just purchased this building for a significant amount of money, and now we found out that there was a $50,000 problem with the plumbing. $50,000 we didn't have. So we're, we're trying to figure out. We can't flush the toilets. So this is something that has to change, right? And so we, we were thinking through, like, how are we going to fix this? And one of, one, uh, we had gotten um, the, uh, the, the price tag. We couldn't do that. And so we decided, you know what? Let's find the architect. Let's see if we can discover, like, where did the, the person who, who reconstructed this building, let's find them and see, is, is there anything that they know that we need to know so that we can potentially decrease the price in order to fix the problem and save money all at the same time? And so we found the architect. The architect came into the house and, and, um, and was doing a walkthrough and asked, did you get a chance to go through the secret door? And we're like, well, how are we supposed to know about a secret door when it's secret? Like, you can't, that's not even a, a feasible comment. Like, how am I supposed to process that? So they, he took us to this, this portal, this, this door. It was a secret door, apparently. And he opened up this door, and as he opened up the door, what he said is that, is that this will now lead you to where the plumbing is, and then um, as you get to where you have to go, the, the fix of the problem is simple because you have discovered a door. The $50,000 problem became a $1,500 problem because there, was, because there was a portal. It was a secret door that no one had seen with their eyes but had, was there all along. What Jesus is doing in this text is that he is helping his disciples discover a new door to look at all problems, a door of compassion, a portal. See, what's happening in, this, in the book of Mark is that Mark is, is helping the readers see and understand and embrace and, and cherish this, this Jesus who's the Messiah, he's the king, he's, he, he is the son of God. Well, the thing is, is that in that day and age, in, in first century um, life, especially, again, Mark is writing to Romans, and so uh, those who are in Rome have an emperor. An emperor was called a son of God. All emperors identified themselves as a, the son of God. So what Mark is doing, Mark is saying, let me introduce you to the real son of God. This is, this is the king who created all 
for, for himself. And he's stepping in this king as Jesus. He's stepping into this new world, and he's creating a new kingdom. And, and what Mark is doing from Mark chapter 1 all the way to chapter 8 is he's unpacking the authority that this king has over all things. All things. And so, like in Mark 1, he is talking about how Jesus has authority over demons. Mark 2, he has authority over sin. Mark 4, he has authority over um, the, like the elements that he feeds the 5,000 in Mark cha- chapter 5. Um, he has authority over the winds and the waves and the storms. This Jesus has authority over all things. And so now this Im- Im- immensely powerful God is now in Mark chapter 8 going to become intensely personal. Intensely personal. Which is really good news for you and I that we have a king who, is, who has power over all things, but he also has compassion and he sees you and I. He sees us. Right where we are. Now, the cool thing about this text is that, is that um, it, it, what, what we, we get a little bit of a snapshot in the fact that he is, with Jesus, he's going into this place called the Decapolis. It's called the Ten Cities. The Decapolis was, is a unique space because it is Gentile territory. Now, if you know anything about Jewish life, um, Jews didn't do anything with nor did they respect or honor or appreciate non-Jews. And what Jesus is doing is, is that all of the miracles that he did with Jews, he's doing with Gentiles. So he feeds the 5,000, all Jews. Now he's about to do a snapshot and do everything to non-Jews. Like he, he's helping us see the authority of this kingdom has no end to his jurisdiction. You tracking on this? And so he's, he's entering into this space. But here's the reality of Mark chapter 8. Is that it, this is the worst possible scenario that anyone can really fathom. Like, this is why. Is that what, what Mark has done in just a few kind of words is he, he helps us see um, the significance of this environment, of what's occurring. Uh, one, he calls it a desert. Like, it li- literally, it's called a desolate place. That's the environment. There, there's 4,000 men, which meant that there were potentially 10,000, uh, like, 4,000 men, like, with, with friends and family and kids, lots of kids. You're, you're looking at a, a group of 10,000 people that hadn't eaten in three days. It can't get any worse. The need, expansive. The pressure, overwhelming. And yet, you have a Jesus, the architect. The, the architect brings this, yeah, do a jig. Um, the, the architect brings his disciples into a response. He opens up the door. He opens up this, this new way of looking at the most overwhelming need. Now, I know that you are here and you are probably looking at overwhelming need. I, I, I can almost guarantee that, that for some of us here, when you look at, at the, the financial challenges, you look at the moral challenges, the spaces that you may be stuck in, is that for, for most of us, we find ourselves in this environment and we are in a desolate place looking at lots of needs, having to feed people, and we, we don't know how we're supposed to do this. Like, we are, 
we're, we're outmatched. And, and here Jesus, the architect, opens up this door, this, this, be, this beautiful door, and he says, I have compassion. He doesn't just look at it objectively. He looks at it personally. It's his. Now, the question is, like, what is this whole, like, what is compassion? Well, in, 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 in the Greek, this word compassion is a really graphic word. Um, it's called splagzizomai. Gosh, not speaking well today. Um, it, is, it is this, it is a, it's a, it's a ex, explicit word because... It has the root word splagnon. Splat, almost like it has this like feeling of splat or guts or like right. But what's happening with this word is that um, it has the idea of entrails. Um, what priests would do is priests before they would make the sacrifice, they would take the entrails of an animal, and they would cook them, and they would they would eat them. What they were doing is, is the, the guts of the animal would, would get in them. What Jesus is saying, what this word is saying, is when he says, I have compassion, it is a, it's a word of the guts, the deep longings inside of Jesus. It is a gut-wrenching statement. He sees this group of people, and he doesn't just see them. His heart is extended to them. Like, he is now fully engaged. He is now willing to get his hands dirty. He isn't just trying to give them something to now get them off of his back. This is not obligatory. This is a heart statement that Jesus is making I have compassion like do you realize that the son of God entered into the world looking at you and saying I have compassion for you and this has nothing to do with what these people did for Jesus in fact they did nothing for him and everything that Jesus should have done he should have now distanced them he should have rejected them because they were from the wrong side of the tracks and yet what you have in Jesus you have one man who looks at a crowd of people and said I have Compassion. So what you can, like if we dumb this, this definition down, it is the voluntary gift of your heart to another. Compassion is the voluntary gift of your heart to another. In fact, when, when you think about com compassion, this is, for Jesus, this isn't a new thing. In fact, um, all throughout his ministry, you have Jesus. He is entering into spaces. Where, like when you think about com compassion, like you have compassion for your kids. You have compassion for your kids' friends. You have compassion for people that you know how go to church. But with Jesus, he has compassion for people that he should not even have connection with. Like in Mark Chapter 1, verse 41, he has the word, I have compassion, was for a leper. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it was for revolutionaries. Those that were trying to destroy the people of Israel. He says, I have compassion for them. 
in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 22, it was a demon-possessed person. Guess what Jesus' response is? I have compassion for, for them. And, and, and Luke continues. I mean, Luke talks about how it was a woman who's burying her, her son. She's a widow. And Jesus sees her from a distance and says, I have compassion. Luke 15. So the, it was, it's the story of, of, of the goods of, of, um, of uh, the, um, the father and his son. My mind is going blank. But, but it, it's, it's, it's the father who's, who's now welcoming his son back from being gone, being distanced, and, and now giving all of his resources to everything possible. And he is, he's nasty, and he's filthy, and, and he begins to walk back. And the father now sees him and says, I have compassion. And he runs to him, and he kisses his feet. This idea of compassion in the ministry of Jesus is replete. It is everywhere. It is the currency that Jesus always uses in this new kingdom that he's building. Compassion is at the forefront. It is the architect who is constantly letting his people know there's a new way of seeing need. There's a new way. Do you, do you realize that when you look at the need around you, the need in the city, the needs in your family, physical needs, spiritual needs, it can, our first response is to look at it, match it with what we have to give, and make a decision. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to open up a new portal to let you and I know that through himself, his heart combined with our hands, there's an actual response, and the response is compassion. There's a portal. It's a staple in the ministry of Jesus. It's the heart of who he is. Again, he's not just objective about this. He identifies with this need personally. And I love how even the Old Testament, this is Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. The Old Testament is this singular approach it's the singular reality of a God who sees Elroy. And his response to his people that he sees that don't deserve anything. It's this word steadfast love. It is when the one that you, that you should expect nothing from, that one gives you everything. That's steadfast love. And this compassionate God has always been expressing himself as a father Extending himself, loving people. Now, pulling them, those who were resistant, to himself with what? Steadfast love and compassion. This is now the, the structure of the Old Testament. And guess how Jesus comes to the scene to express his authority? He comes with compassion. Everything that the Old Testament paints, Jesus fulfills. You might be asking, well, like, what, Corey, give me, help me see this idea of compassion a little further. Okay. Um, when my daughter was probably 10 months, um, I, I walked by her room, and if you've ever had um, small kids who uh, have eaten something that doesn't really go well with their stomach, um, you walk by their room and there's a smell. I, I smelled that smell as I walked by the room. Um, she, she may have been a little bit more than 10 months, maybe about 
between 10, 10 months and, and 16-ish. Well, what you, I, I, I opened up the door, and, and my daughter um, had her diaper off. And the diaper had been filled with contents. Lots of con- con- contents. So the con- contents, it felt like from hell itself. And she had um, taken that diaper, and because she smelled that smell, she wanted to discard of that diaper, so she discarded of that diaper on the walls. Um, and in the process of getting it on the walls, she got it on her fingers, and she didn't like the fact it was on her fingers, so she rubbed it all over her bed. Um, uh, this was a scene from a horror film. It, it was overwhelming. Uh, and so I, I'm smelling smells, seeing sights, and I have my daughter looking grabbing the bar and looking up with this look of defeat and humiliation and knowing like something's wrong but I don't know how to do anything here so I as a loving dad grabbed her ankle because her ankle was the only untouched part of her body and I grabbed her ankle she goes upside down and turn my head and I uh I walk six steps to the bathroom uh, holding her up, I turn on the tub, and the tub takes forever, and here I am. And she, 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 like, it's been a while, so I tip her up and then tip her back down. Um, it finally fills, bring her into the tub, and for the next 10 minutes, go through a process of, of soothing her and cleaning her all at the same time. As a dad... My job was to not just see her from a distance, but to enter into her filth. Take her to myself. Take her to a place to give her what she needed, which was to be cleansed. And then after I cleansed her, I held her to my heart. I dried her off, and I rocked her. I rocked her to sleep. It was a father sees his daughter in a space of need and enters into that need with his heart and his hands to bring healing. That is compassion. That's a compassion from the God of the Old Testament expressed into the person of Jesus in the New Testament. And you might be asking, well, Corey, how do you get this type of compassion? How did Jesus get it? Where does it come from? How do you stir it up? How do you keep it? How, how does this work? Well, what I love with Mark, what Mark is always doing from the very, from the, the very beginning, the priority f- for Mark is to help us see that Jesus, his primary purpose on the planet was intimacy with his father. Mark chapter 1, 10 and 11, you have the baptism of Jesus. What do you have in that baptism? You have the father looking at the son, saying, you are my dearly loved child. For you, I am well pleased. Had he done anything? Had he done any miracles? Had he performed any feeding of the 5,000? Had he done a thing? No, 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 nothing. What is the father extending to the son? Intimacy, closeness, the idea of Intimacy is allowing someone to see into me. 
It's, it's, it's now giving someone else access to see into who you really are and to form that. And from the very beginning, acceptance and affirmation, it was the fuel of Jesus. It was what he was given from the Father. It was intimacy. It was closeness. That now because the Son was around the Father, and then like in Mark chapter 1, verse 34, he distances himself from everyone, and he now goes to a desolate place, a quiet place. And what does he do? He prays. Why does he pray? He's stirring up intimacy from the father there's a thousand wars that we all face the thousand wars but the only battle like the main purpose of all of the wars it's a war of intimacy will you receive the invitation from the father through the son to come close but this is this is the gift this is the gift that mark is giving us is that jesus existed for closeness with the Father. And that closeness gave him eyes to see. It gave him a perspective to see the world around him. He could now see the crowd for how God saw him, and it was, his response was, I have compassion. Like, what if you were to now have an expectation that you exist not to perform for God, but now to have a closeness with him where it's, you would give him permission to see into you. Like, like, what if your day actually involved a closeness, an ongoing connection, almost like a, a cheek-to-cheek, a side-by-side, a closeness, intimacy, that you are now having an ongoing conversation with your creator throughout your day where now you are contending for intimacy? And what if out of that intimacy now comes a portal that is opened up to you, that you see the world around you through the eyes of the one who is extending himself to you like what what if you were to live a life like this like could it be this is what you're made to do this is what life can actually look like now what's what's amazing about this whole story i say all this but guess who was conspicuously absent in all of this the disciples the disciples I mean, they had just seen the feeding of the 5,000 literally five months before this. You would think that in a miracle like that, 12 people would go, oh, snap. We're in the same place. It's desolate. Hold on. We were in a desolate place five months ago. Hold on. Jesus says, I have compassion. Hold on. He's kind of saying that before five months ago. Uh, He did. He fed not just 4,000, he fed 5,000, which meant he probably fed between 12 and 15,000 people before. He could potentially do the same thing today. But, but they, you don't hear any of that. Why? Why? I think it's because of the audience. Gentiles. They wanted no parts. They didn't want them to succeed. They didn't want them to get fed. If we're honest, these men were were racist. They had zero desire for these individuals to receive mercy from God. And so what happens? What's the opposite of compassion? Um, I wonder if the opposite is um, detachment, aloofness, 
disinterest. Um, often when it comes to de detachment, detachment comes from when the needs of others that you don't want to be filled, what fuels your detachment? Judgment. Things like this, this is what's flown through my mind at least. They are lazy, therefore I will, I'm gonna withhold my help. They're disorganized, therefore they're unreliable. They don't value theology, therefore they're shallow. They don't closely watch their kids, irresponsible. They're overweight. They're greedy. They're in debt. They're impulsive. Do you see how this works? When, if you're not careful, when you find yourself in a space where the, the human heart instantly and usually it goes to look at itself. It protects itself. It wants its own brand to be successful. And so the opposite of, 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 com of compassion is, is a disconnected heart that usually is fueled out of judgment. And guess what God always does? He puts us in places where we are now faced to serve and to love those that ultimately, deep down inside, we don't really want to be involved in. He lovingly places us in locations, in environments, where the portal of compassion is available and he's helping us because he wants us to be formed in him. He wants our hearts to grow. And, and in, in this city, I, I wonder, are there some people that God has called you to serve that deep down inside when you go through certain parts of town or when you go through, through um, a grocery store, it's easy to put your Beats by Dre in, right? You, 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 you put your... You, you put your your earphones in, and you just want to get into a different world and disconnect. You want to just be as aloof as you can. You just want to you now survive a certain environment. You want to get through it because deep down inside, you don't really want to give away what you do have. And what the Spirit of God is always doing is he's always leading us and guiding us and pushing us to now trust in this Jesus that he's, he's now positioning us to now take the heart of Jesus and now take his heart and match our, our, our hands. The next statement that Jesus says, he says, I have compassion. Then he turns to his disciples and says, how many loaves do you have? Another way of saying it is, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And you, know, you see, in the Old Testament, G God is always saying what's in your hand. I mean, he said it with Moses, with a staff, dead stick, that which was dead in his hands. He says, What's in your hands? A stick? Staff? He said, toss it on the ground. And when he tossed it, that which was dead became deadly. 